0: and we are live at the Standing Room Spartans podcast for the week we are finally here scott uh, obviously scott my co-host is joining me today and we're talking about a lot of stuff but basically fall camp is here uh, we're finally to the point where we we'll, we will soon have something to talk about it's been since the quote unquote spring game since we've had like actual michigan state football content other than recruiting and stuff so uh excited for that we got a ton of stuff we got mailbag questions uh but first scott uh of course got to let the people know when we're actually recording in case we miss some news sunday afternoon how are we doing today august 1st august how did that I, sounds weird did right? that catch you off guard <laughs> yeah i 7 months in the bag for this year. We're flying through. Trying not to uh, you know, wish in my life away to football season, but you can almost smell the cheap stale beer and uh and the grills firing up on Munfield. So, we are inching our way closer one day at a time. Um uh, yeah, we're doing good. We had Spart Dog Con this weekend, which we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, I think the marketing could use a little bit of a uh, workshop <laughs> there, but uh and we had a pretty exciting um recording this past week which we'll also get into but yeah i'm feeling good today it's going to be a good episode i don't know about you the older that i've gotten the more i don't like summer the way that i used to and it's one of those things that in the you get to like late winter and you're like all right you know we need to get the hell out of this then you get to spring and you start getting excited for summer and then whenever summer comes I'm always way more excited before it happens than it actually gets here. And it's that first like 90 degree day. Like, I hate this. I hate everything about this. Nothing is enjoyable about this. So where I used to be kind of, okay, let's, let's not wish away the summer. You know, I fall is so much better than summer. So I'm kind of wishing away summer a little bit. I'm a, yeah, I'm a transitional season guy i like fall i would like spring i do get some pretty bad allergies in the spring for a couple of weeks that can hold it back a little bit when things get nice but i think i'm destined to live somewhere like you know how at the equator they just have summer all year i couldn't right. do that but if there was somewhere where i had like like september michigan weather all year that's where i want to live see that's where i would love to be like if you removed about half of the rain from Ireland. That's a place where it's, it's never too hot. It's never too cold. You you do have that sweet spot. It's just raining for like 300 days a year. So I don't know if I can deal with that part of it. Right. But that's about the closest thing I can get for you. Yeah. And the other factor with summer these days is like, even when it's nice and you're feeling it and you're like, let's get outside, let's, you know, take advantage of this. You got to work. And like, as a kid, you were like, right. yeah, it's summer. I don't have to work. It's nice outside. I can just go laugh at my parents and go hang out with my friends. And, and now I'm, I'm that guy sitting at the desk, watching the sun cross the sky. And it's, it's just, it doesn't have the same, doesn't have the same effect that it used to it is still better though as a working man i will still take the summer over the winter because yes. at least in the summer you get off of work and there's still sunshine those dark days yes. of winter where you're getting you get to work and this it's still dark and you leave work and it's already dark that that's depressing yeah it's almost like you want to like work second or third like i'll, I'll just normal normal office job but let me work like 5 p.m to 1 a.m and and give me my day my very short day but anyway yeah Yeah. it is the summer we've been chatting about seasons for far too long already it's the summer it is august we're moving into fall camp and we're working on a couple things so kevin I know you've teased it on Twitter a little bit, but are you, what are you working on these days? Yeah, we've got a lot of exciting stuff, Scott. Uh, no, I'm I'm really excited for for this period of the podcast. We've we've kind of teased some stuff on Twitter, but I guess to give everybody a little peek here, first of all, there will be a logo change soon. So don't be alarmed if that crosses the timeline and you get confused. There will be a logo change soon. The website's going to get a little refresh. Uh, we've got some articles coming. Uh, we're, we're kicking this thing into gear for the 2021 football season. So whether it's social media, the website, the podcast, everything, nothing's going to change. Of course, as far as the content, you're just going to get more of it. It's going to be better. It's going to look better. Uh, we're really excited about that. This week, uh we have a special interview that will be airing. I I posted about it on Twitter. Uh Greg Jones joined us for about 30 minutes last week, which I still can't really wrap my head around. You know, like 16-year-old me is just kind of freaking out right now the fact that I got to sit down and talk to Greg Jones for a half hour, but yeah two-time all-american greg jones is joining us uh or has joined us i guess we're going to air that episode later this week which is incredibly exciting scott uh you were with me obviously when we were interviewing is there anything you can tell the people that they should be excited to hear was there anything you were kind of surprised to hear him say i mean i was surprised i mean just a great guy down to earth, but also definitely embodies, you know, what it means to be a Spartan football player and Spartan football alumni. Um, I was expecting to be intimidated and nervous. And I mean, as soon as we got on the phone with him, he was just like, it was just a great guy and it was comfortable and it's a great conversation. And hopefully we can get him on the podcast again soon because, you know, we, <laughs> we got through maybe half of what we had prepared because he was (laughs) such a great guest. He was just, you know, really open and, and gave us some great stuff. So I'm really excited to get some feedback from the listeners Uh, as we try to do some more interviews here. I'd love to know kind of, maybe we'll put a poll out on Twitter or something, but what, what the listeners like to hear in those interview settings, like do you want to hear about time, their time at MSU the time, maybe they went to the NFL, their time in the pros or, or even, you know, their upbringing and kind of their origin story of how they became a big 10 football player. Um, obviously we can take it a lot of different directions and, Um, be great to get some feedback. But yeah, I mean this is a great starting point. We've done one or two interviews before, but I I think after this one, we definitely want to bring some more of that to our to our channel. So definitely give us feedback there and hopefully hopefully our listeners enjoy it as much as we did. Yeah, and and we have since kind of developed a bit of a a relationship here with with Greg. So hopefully we can get him back on. And it it is funny though, because you have a half hour to sit down and chat and you have all of this stuff planned. And he was so generous with his time, first of all, but second of all, just really gave thoughtful answers, right? It, it wasn't, that was the thing that I I hope you guys appreciate. And I definitely appreciated as, as a host is that you could tell when there was a question asked that there was real thought put into giving an honest, true answer and not you know, like that, that's the frustrating thing right now with, you know, camps coming up and we'll kind of segue into that too, but it's like, you get a lot of these just standard cookie cutter answers. And I don't think we got any of that. So that's really exciting. Um, again, really excited for you guys to hear and, and get some feedback. And yeah, like Scott said, you know, we, we went into that just asking what we wanted to know. Um, it would be nice as well. Maybe we'll, kind of send this out as some interviews start coming in. Like you said, we, we've got some planned ahead, uh, of, yeah. What do you, what do you guys want to know about these guys? So we'll, we'll get into all that again. That's going to be airing this week. Really excited about it. Uh, coming on the website this week is my Michigan state top 40 all time running back list, which I've been working on incredibly tirelessly all weekend, um, and a, a little bit last week as well. I, I'm legitimately hours and hours of research. Um, so I know that there's going to be some controversial picks. I know that there's going to be all of that. I just hope that everybody understands that it's not something where I'm trying to cause controversy. I genuinely love the history of Michigan State football, and, and I really enjoy putting the research into this and learning about some of these guys that came before my time. And I tried as best as I could to match some level of order that, you know, it's all subjective. So I, I hope you guys at least appreciate the work that I put in. If you disagree with where somebody was placed, I would love to hear about it. Uh, but I hope you also can appreciate, uh, you know, some of the work that was put in behind the scenes, but um, yeah, that'll be coming out. I think Wednesday this week, it's pretty much done. I just need to put the final touches on it. Um, Scott, I will, I, I kind of told you before we aired, like we'll give the people one little tease on it. If there's any question you have about a specific player or place or anything, I, I will be happy to answer that before the, so that people can get a little taste before it comes out on Wednesday. Okay. So this is a question. It's a weighted question. So where Do you have, this is a throwback. Where do you have Walt Kowalczyk,
1: 1957
0: All-American? Kowalczyk. Walt Kowalczyk is currently placed, I think this is pretty much finalized, as my number 10 running back of all time in Michigan State football history. Yep. Number three in Heisman Trophy voting, national champion, All-American. First round top six, top 10 draft pick, picked to number six overall by Philadelphia. Never really, never really uh, took off in the NFL, but the highest Heisman finisher in Michigan State football history to this day. Um, You may be wondering why I'm asking about someone who went to Michigan State 60 plus years ago. So I'll try to keep this story short. But when I, was in, when I was at Michigan State, I came across his name a few times, obviously, uh, Spartan Great. Um, and it always kind of like rang a bell in the back of my head, and I could never understand why. I'm like, what? But I just felt like there was a connection there. And, you know, I just kind of dropped it. There's not that much to research. I mean, he, he played so long ago. So you started this up again, and his name came up again. And, and again, I was sitting there like, why does it feel like this isn't just some other ex-Spartan player from the era long ago and finally it clicked so I had a driver's education teacher when I was learning to drive in high school and we we called him Mr. K some of the adults called him Walt and I I don't even know if at the time I knew he had any connections to Michigan State or anything but it turns out after really digging it through his bio and everything he ended up in my hometown of Rochester, Michigan, teaching, volunteering as a driver's ed teacher. So um, fun fact, I learned the drive. I was taught the drive by Spartan great running back, All-American, third in the Heisman, Walt Kowalczyk. And I'll be remiss if I don't correct myself and my co-host in saying Walt Kowalczyk, if you were saying in the proper Polish, but uh, I figure that nobody will know who I'm talking about if I pronounce it actually correctly, because, you know, as Americans, we tend to uh, just kind of take people's actual names and butcher them for our own uh, laziness. But here we are. Um, No, I, I, yeah. Top 10 running back of all time on my list right now sneaks in at number 10. Um, Yeah. Really excited for this list to come out. Got, uh, I think there's a, like, there's a couple I have my eye that I, Think people might look a little confused about or high or low, but I, I hope everybody understands that the process of comparing a running back from 1942 to one in 1998 is basically impossible. So, uh, be kind in your criticism, but I, I do appreciate the feedback. Um, stuff. Lots of stuff to get into though. We, we got plenty in this episode. Let's, let's dig into it. So Spartan dog con Scott, you mentioned the, the marketing side of it, maybe needed a little work. I don't know. Like we've been crushing the social media stuff, but that branding, it could have been better. Like it just doesn't roll off the tongue, you know, no. you got like barbecue at the big house. And I know there's other summer recruiting events and I think they did a phenomenal job from what I saw. Uh it, Actually we should take it from the top. Mel Tucker's right, earlier, house it, looks awesome. Oh my God. That basketball court. Um, About a month ago, the staff teased this and said July 31st marker calendars. And it was this big buzz. What's it going to be? Um, And as the weeks wore on, it kind of came out that it was going to be this recruiting event as more and more high profile recruits said they were going to be on campus July 31st. But then like the staff didn't really like say like, yeah, you were right. It's a recruiting event. It was just like, they let it come and all the fans were like, okay, so like it's July 31st and the staff just kind of did it. And we're like, so wait, is this it? And, but anyway, so this was it, this is what they were teasing. Um, from what we could gather, it was like a dinner party barbecue at Mel Tucker's house Friday night, uh, with, with a bunch of alumni former players. Yeah. Yep. And then Saturday they did a bunch of recruiting visits along with some, some workshops that it wasn't clear if they were only for the alumni or for the alumni current players and maybe recruits. But anyway, they had some, some workshops, um, and then obviously typical recruiting visits, you know harding um prospective players around and um also getting the already committed players acquainted with each other on campus at the same time a lot of the guys who've been hyping up the program gavin bro recent commit alex van sumeren which did we talk about that last week or was that this week you know that was this week yeah (laughs) i guess we now that we're going on the fly here alex van sumeren commit huge huge Um, Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. We'll finish this Spartan dog con, but so it looked like a good time. I think the name could use workshopping. It just doesn't really flow, but, um, it's something that a lot of other programs have been doing with high profile, uh, recruiting events like one day in the summer to really build the hype around their program at one specific time something D'Antonio never really picked up on in his time. I think it's going to be really healthy to continue moving MSU's brand kind of into the 21st century and the way football works these days and recruiting specifically. So, um, and also I I really think the way that he integrated the former players is a really key component in this. The way I look at it, right. You've got, if the program is a house, the foundation of the house is really, the former players, the institution and the program itself that lives on through different coaches and different players. And then your coaching staff is the actual house, right? That's what's there right now. And they're really kind of setting the standard. And then the players are the ones living in it. So um, really important to bring that foundation in and uh, and give everyone a sense that this isn't just Mel Tucker's program. This is Michigan State football, which is currently being steered by Mel Tucker and his staff. So I think that was a really important component. Yeah. And and this is something where, you know, maybe I'm taking a little bit of a leap here, but there was, I remember comments when Mel Tucker was hired about former players where he basically expressed this, Hey, former players, you're welcome. Come to practice anytime you're welcome here. And it's easy to just say it, right. It's, it's easy to go up in a press conference and just say, Hey, everybody's welcome. You can come on by. And it's a different thing to actually go out and do it and make the effort and and welcome everybody into your house, host this party. I'm assuming a lot of work went into to organizing all of this. I mean, they had roulette tables, they had poker tables, they had, I'm sure, a lot of other stuff. He had, I saw pictures of like the bonfire later at night. I'm sure it was all catered and booze was bought. You know, like he he made a legitimate effort to welcome former players into the program, into a program that he just took over and, and sure, you know, he had his foundation at Michigan state, but that was only a couple of years under Nick Saban. I mean, it's not like he's a lifelong Spartan by any stretch of the imagination. So to kind of take this adopted program that he has and really insist on welcoming back former players, insist on building off of those relationships, I think is huge. And going from that to, to Alex van Summerin is again, you know, we go back to the beginning of when Mel Tucker was hired and it's this mantra of recruiting every day. And we're here to, to kind of bring a new level of recruiting to Michigan state. And again, it's easy to say that it's another thing to actually do it. And here we are. Uh, you know, I'm looking at a, a tweet, this from a few days ago, but it really stuck true to me. And we talk about all the time, like recruiting rankings, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter. Right. And this is from Spartan tailgate in the 2021 class, six of Michigan state's 17 commits. So, you know, less than half of them, but a significant amount were ranked lower than an 85 in the 24 seven composite. So nearly half, or about, I guess about a third were ranked lower than 85 this year's class, 15 commits just one of them falls under that 85 mark. So the the overall level of player is improving. And on top of that, we're landing the level of player of an Alex van summer of an Antonio Gates, junior guys that are legitimate studs, a Kate Hauser, who's in the elite 11 final. And so it's, it's a little bit of that. Hey, it's, it's one thing to just say, we're going to recruit better he's actually going out there and doing it. And we kind of talked about earlier. We, we were doing a fantasy football draft earlier today. We we're just chatting and it's like, he's doing this on really nothing. I, I mean, you you mentioned the phrase earlier, like he's, he's just selling pure hope. There's no real on-field success to, to sell to these players. We haven't had a successful team since 2017. So all this to say, yeah, it is a hell of a week here for Michigan state. Yeah. And when you're selling that hope and having success with it, I mean, again, maybe we're reading too leaves, but that's what we do here. Um, as much as we like to act like we don't, <laughs> the selling hope and having success with it means these players are coming in and these players have visited other programs. They've talked to dozens of other coaches They're coming to Michigan State and they're seeing the groundwork that Coach Tucker is laying and they're saying he's doing something different here than everybody else to the point that I'm willing to put my career in his hands in his staff's hands over established programs and established coaches because I believe what's going to happen in the next four or five years at Michigan State is going to be better for my career. Than anyone else can offer. And in the case and, of Alex Van Summeren, that's making that choice over Clemson. That's making that choice over Michigan. I, he had an Alabama, Alabama offer. I yeah. mean, you know, it's it's one thing for a guy to make that decision. Okay, I'm gonna, you know, trust my career with Mel Tucker when the other options are West Virginia, Kentucky, right? But when you're staring down the barrel of Dabo Sweeney and Clemson and the, the first round picks that they've churned out on the defensive line and the national championships that they've won in Alabama, the same case goes there. And even Michigan, to a certain extent, not for the team success, but realistically, let's look at the first round picks that they put out on de- on the defensive line. You know, when you're looking at your future, Michigan has a lot more to sell right now. Let's be honest. And it it just speaks volumes to his ability to connect and build these relationships. And obviously there's other factors. There's playing time to consider. There's, I mean, in case of Alex van summer and his brothers here. So I'm sure he already has a pretty high comfort level with the program, et cetera, et cetera. But nonetheless, I mean, the sentiment still remains. So really, really good sign. I think a lot of people were saying, just wait until Mel Tucker can recruit in person. Um, and that, that has proven true so far so there's a couple other high-level recruits still out there Ryan bear has been linked to the program for a while Jaden Mangum who was linked to West Virginia four-star athlete just decommitted uh, pushed his commitment back he's not committed yet um, with links to MSU Uh, Jeremiah Caldwell just decommitted from Kentucky with links to MSU. So whether or not that's a result of Spartan Dog Con, whether or not they end up at Michigan State, who knows. But there's certainly recruiting momentum and some storylines as we enter fall camp. And as the actual team kind of takes back the spotlight, there's still some things to focus on and keep an eye on. And I think the 22 class is certainly not done making waves yet. It's an exciting time, man. And it feels weird to say that on the heels of a two win season and a long off season, but here we are with a lot of excited people. I think it's not just the two of us who are following this every single day. It's even the casual fan, I think is starting to warm up to this. Like, Hey, this might be all right. You know, and I think there is something to all of this that, there's just a new energy. And I think that that does matter. I know Scott, you're working on an article about kind of the the energy of the program right now. And it's, it is exciting. And I think that does matter to a certain extent. I, I mean, fans, you can debate how much they matter, but fans matter to a program. And I think that type of energy and, and, you know, finally being able to be in the stadium here coming up soon, really exciting. Uh, fall camp is starting this week and there is a lot that you were going to see start to come through the media. Uh, you're going to see some articles. You're going to see some interviews. You're going to see some clips. You're going to see some breakout players. You're going to see, I'm sure there's a few guys who are in the best shape of their lives. I'm sure there are guys, coming off of injuries who felt even better than they did before the injury. We're going to get all of those cliches and more. Uh, But Scott, we got a lot of position battles and we're just going to highlight a couple of them. Uh, So basically the way we wanted to touch on this is for those of you who have been listening this whole off season, none of this is going to be like, you know, original and new because, When you talk about exclusively Michigan State football for the whole calendar year, uh, a lot of it is talking about position battles and stuff like that. So we're just going to highlight a couple of them for the people that are maybe jumping onto the podcast now that football season's right around the corner, the excitement's coming back. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to the this whole year, hopefully we'll give you a couple new nuggets. We don't want you to skip this part of it, <laughs> but um, you know it's it's not going to be anything brand new, right? So we, we're hopefully we won't spend too much time on it, and then we'll get to an awesome mailbag question. Uh, questions. We got an awesome segment there but I I guess let's just start there. Let's, let's start general Scott, any of the position camp battles that really have, you're going to keep an eye on this whole fall and you're going to be scrolling through Twitter, waiting for an update on this position. All right, well, let's rip the bandaid off here. Um, Quarterbacks. We'll we'll get this one out of the way. We won't spend too much time on it. Um, Who do you think, who do you think, you know practice rep 1 you know live scrimmage number 1 i who do you think comes out as qb1 like today this is so hard i i <laughs> cuz i think I, it might be a different answer than you know northwestern week 1 it's like who who's slightly ahead after last year after the spring who kind of gets I, that initial little nod this is totally just feeling vibes. I, there has been zero whisper one way or another, but I feel like Anthony Rousseau is in a better position right now to line up under center. If there was a gun to Mel Tucker's head and he said, put your QB on the field. Yeah. I I know Peyton Thorne has been in the program, um, but we brought Anthony Rousseau in to challenge Peyton Thorne because Peyton Thorne was not that guy yet and Anthony Rousseau while he wasn't that guy at Michigan State was that guy for three years at Temple. He knows what it's like to be QB1 he, he he's a he's a known, uh, value. You know what you're getting from him when he lines up under center. Yes, he may throw a few picks. He may not be the most mobile guy, but you know exactly who you're rolling out onto the field. Peyton Thorne, he doesn't have the reps. He's got a lot of question marks in his game. Not to say he can't answer those positively, but he still has a lot of question marks. So just in terms of game experience, I think Anthony Rousseau is like QB1 and it's like 50.1% <laughs> versus 49.9%. You know, it's funny because I'm starting to get into my you know, national college football previews, some podcasts. I've got four magazines, and it's it's funny seeing the national writers because number one, it it just gives you a different perspective, uh, and number two is some of these dudes are really plugged in. I was just reading through Phil Steele the other day, and this guy has been in the business for like forty years. He has personal phone calls with, I'm pretty sure every one of these head coaches and you know, what's, what's a point that keeps getting brought up is that while Anthony Rousseau, he's got a lot of experience and we, we kind of have started to look at him as this kind of game manager. He's going to go out there and be the guy that steadies the ship because of his experience. He threw a lot of interceptions (laughs) and like, yes, I know you, you can go back and watch the film and a lot of them probably aren't really his fault, but I always kind of look at it for when there's a quarterback with a lot of interceptions, you can probably point to three, four, five, six of those and say, well, that went off the receiver's hands or that one, you know, the DB made an incredible play, but I could probably find four, five, six, seven other plays throughout that season where the DB dropped an easy pick, like people who throw a lot of interceptions, they just throw a lot of interceptions. And the game is the same for every quarterback and the better quarterbacks do the little things that don't lead to interceptions. Yeah. And, and I guess it's, it is just kind of funny reminding yourself of like, he's not really that guy that just you know hey he's safe he's somebody like he's experienced but it's it is different than the kind of safe game manager so no it's I it is gonna be fascinating. I mean it's a quarterback position where we're gonna be talking about it we're gonna be looking at it but yeah it is funny getting that other perspective of a bunch of people just from a national view that are just now starting to do their Michigan state research you know after looking at all the other sixty whatever teams and they're like, okay, yeah, they brought in this Anthony Rousseau kid, but he threw a lot of interceptions, so we're not sold on him. And I'm like, wait, no, he's 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 our guy. He's this. I'm like, wait, yeah, I guess he did throw like 40 interceptions. So I think he has 32 in yeah. his three years, and starting, like to 44 so. touchdowns or something. Yeah, like the ratio not, is not morality. great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, to me, he's not the safe game manager. To me, he's the guy who's going to try to win the game from inside the pocket. Whereas Peyton Thorne doesn't have that same pocket passer skill set, but he has a more wide ranging skill set on the, you know, with his, with his legs, obviously breaking the puck, throwing downfield. So yeah, he's, he's not like your Kirk cousins where like, he's going to take his sacks instead of throwing picks and you know, it's good in the play action. Like he's not that quarterback. He's a gunslinger talking about Rousseau, but yeah, he's, he makes his fair share of mistakes as well. Um, I just think he has enough experience to to bank on him being a little bit more composed under pressure at this point in his career, and that's not a knock on Thorn. That's just the fact that he's he's lined up under center a hell of a lot more um, in college. But but yeah, I mean, I I don't really have a, a specific horse in this race, a prediction on who will line up against Northwestern. I'm excited to kind of go in this with you know, an apathetic attitude and just watch kind of how it, how it fleshes out and see who lines up and, and don't expect this. I know Mel Tucker said he wants to declare his quarterback in camp and I appreciate that, but don't expect if, if whoever that quarterback is comes out week one against Northwestern and looks terrible, he's not necessarily just going to stick with him week two. I mean, it's it, we would love for it to be a stable known player throughout the year, but it may not be if things don't go according to plan. And that can be okay. We all remember 2013, you know, if, if the starter comes out there and doesn't look great, the sky isn't falling. We, we can't really give up on the season yet. Uh, But no, I, 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 it is going to be fascinating. One thing I'm looking for is not necessarily a position battle because I don't think this guy is going to be a starter just due to the experience that's in front of him. But I have a feeling I'm going to be soaking up all of the Michael Fletcher hype that there is to be had. Uh, Any picture that I see of him, any short clip of him beating an offensive lineman in a one-on-one, I just got a feeling that I'm going to soak that up because we've been dying for an effective pass rusher, pure pass rusher since Shalik Calhoun. We've had a bunch of good defensive linemen since then, but it's all that kind of steady Eddie Jacob Penashuk types, where you know he's a good player, but he's not. Kenny Willickus did there have or, a career year in pass yeah. rush one year, but no, you, I agree, Shalik right. Calhoun was far more um, generational than Kenny Willickus. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right on Kenny Willickus. That's uh, that's a short, short sight. What's the word I'm looking for? Short sight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm dumb. Okay, yeah, forgot about Kenny (laughs) Williams. Anyways, um, no, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to is Michael Fletcher potentially going to be that next pass rusher who can by himself get after the quarterback? Because I think we've got a bunch of interesting pieces on the defensive line, but when you look across Drew Beasley, Jacob Panishuk. Drew Jordan. It's a bunch of that steady Eddie. He's going to set the edge in the run game and he's going to get to the quarterback on a couple effort plays throughout the season, but are not going to bring that type of juice that you're going to really need to get a pass rush with four. So any and all Michael Fletcher hype, send it my way and I will be very excited about it. Yeah, for me, that player is and I know he's already broken out, but Jaden Reed, I I don't know if he's gonna have this kind of season, but I think his goal this year is likely to be the Big Ten wide receiver of the year. I think that's that's the energy he's putting out. That is the I mean, he took the number one and there was that whole like hype video, you know, the Charles Rogers hype video. Still um, weird, but yeah. Still, he's got it. I mean, if he goes out there and wins a big 10 wide receiver of the year, maybe it fits a little better. I think that's who he wants to be. Obviously, we need a quarterback who can make that happen. Um, I'm really excited to see. I think he's expecting a huge year out of himself. And I think he is the type of player who can go out and make things happen for himself. So I'm really excited to see what he does this year. But um the main area outside of quarterback that i'm really excited to see is just the entire defensive backfield um and who starts I we mean, were talking about this like do that free safety spot i have no idea what's going to happen so that's the thing i've heard angelo gross is kind of a sure from some sources that he is a sure you know shoe in for that free safety spot and the real question mark is at the nickel i've heard people saying well, Ant- Angelo Gross seems to be, you know, the nickel guy this year, and who's going to play free safety? I've seen the the one that caught me off guard is that people are talking about this new uh, cornerback Williams as our basically cornerback one over Kalen Gervin, and that if Chester Kimbrough makes strides, he could be pushing for Kalen Gervin's secondary outside slot, which I don't know if that was like, a lack of information from the source, or if I'm like way disconnected from this, but if we have two transfer corners displacing our number one corner for the last year and our number two corner from two years ago, Kalen Gervin, we're going to be in a lot better shape on defense than I thought we were going into this year. Well, not as far as not knowing what's going to happen. I'll throw you this one too. I don't know if you saw this, um, Justin thinned from 24 seven, he put out a depth chart, uh, and somebody responded to it asking about Darius snow. Justin then said, snow is definitely not a free safety. Um, a little more from him. I don't know, whatever. Darius snow quote tweeted that football player, my G throw me anywhere. So, you know, maybe Darius snows in the running for that free, free safety spot. According to him, uh, I absolutely put his hat, hat in that race. So I have no idea and what's going to happen. you were happen, talking but. about the, you were talking about the season previews and obviously I've been soaking up. I don't have the time to dig through all of them, but I at least look through the, uh, you know, the starting depth chart or the depth chart predictions, the starting lineup predictions for each one. And what's really fun is most of these previews speak very confidently in their prediction. Right. But when you put them up against I... each other, they are all over the place with Michigan state. I mean, half the starting lineup is different in every one. And I think that's something that just makes this camp and this year. So exciting is, you know, we might not be very good this year, but we're going to have so many new faces and there's so many storylines to follow going into camp and going into the year. And that alone just makes it, you know, worth watching and worth getting excited about And because you're almost guaranteed a couple new breakout names this year that we didn't have on the roster last year, or maybe we did. And we weren't paying attention to, you know, like a Terry Lockett, he was around last year. A lot of guys are talking about him as our wide receiver three, who's going to have a breakout year this year. Um, And he didn't really do anything last year. So just really excited about all this, but yeah, the defensive backfield, um, It's, I guess, a mess. I think I thought Kalen Gervin and Xavier Henderson were the two guaranteed, you know, starter number one at their position. Apparently, Kalen Gervin, there's at least someone out there who thinks his job's not even secure. Xavier Henderson absolutely is. But um, yeah, that's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah. I mean, since we brought it up, like I have it right next to me. So I figured I'd just pull it up real quick. Uh, Phil Steele. Again, been in the business for a long time. He has our starting defensive backfield as Kalon Gervin, Chester Kimbrough as our two outside corners, Angelo Gross as the nickel, Xavier Henderson and Michael Dowell at the safety spots. So that's one orientation of these, you know, seven ish guys that could potentially have starting spots at some of these positions mixed around. So yeah, there's, you know, you go through the, uh, the statistical breakdown and there's probably like 45 different, um, different alignments that you could find all of these players in and, and have it be somewhat realistic and, and take a look at it and be like, yeah, I I could see that. That makes sense. You know, Chester Kimbrough in the slot and this guy here, okay. Okay. The, you could move all these guys around and and nobody knows what's going to happen. So I'm excited to follow the DBs as well. Um, yeah, I guess the other thing that I want to bring to the table here, uh, before we get to the mailbag is I've been on this for a while. Uh, again, if, if you've been listening, you've heard me say this before. I'm not so sure that we can pencil in the, something that I think, you know, we, you talked about national previews and different depth charts and everybody kind of having, there's been one thing that I've seen that has been pretty stable that I'm still not sold on. I'm pretty sure everybody to this point believes the starting right side of the offensive line is going to be Jarrett horse at right tackle Kevin Jarvis moving back inside to right guard. I'm not so sure Jarrett horse doesn't start at left tackle because I think he might be better than AJ Arcuri is right now. He has also played his whole career at left tackle. And I just think it's kind of a, it's a funny assumption that everybody just assumes, well, here's the guy transferring in who has played exclusively left tackle uh, compared to our guy who's played exclusively left tackle who hasn't been that good. And he's going to make, Jarrett Horst moved to the right side. I, I just, I'm not sold on it. So I could absolutely see a world where Jarrett Horst beats out AJR Curry at left tackle. Um, and, and Kevin Jarvis stays at right tackle, because if you paid attention in that little spring game, quote unquote, um, AJR Curry wasn't playing, but Jarrett Horst was at left tackle and Kevin Jarvis was at right tackle. And to me, If you full on planned on moving Kevin Jarvis back inside, you wouldn't have given him all the reps at tackle during that spring scrimmage. You you would have at least given him a little bit of both. You know, he would have gotten some reps at guard, some reps at tackle, or all the reps at guard. He wouldn't have been playing exclusively. So, like something's something's fishy here, and I've been saying it for a while, but I'm not sold that. Jarrett Horst isn't going to be our starting left tackle this year yeah this is one that came on my radar over the last probably couple of weeks I I was one of the I guess ignorant masses who just assumed well we have a left tackle we don't really have a right tackle so this new guy's our right tackle now um but yeah I mean he's on w- what's the watch list for the nation's best offensive tackle? Outland, I believe. Uh, Outland, yeah. So I'll take your word for it if we're wrong. Just both, Kevin. Um, but, uh, yeah, Horst was uh, named, the only one on the team, named to the Outland Trophy watch list. And you would imagine that would be our best player. And you'd imagine our best tackle would be at left tackle, um, especially with right-handed quarterbacks. So, yeah, I'd, I mean, it's just I don't think – it's funny to think about how bad our offensive lineman has our offensive line has been over the last couple of years. And to think that anybody has a full locked in safe spot, right? Like you had arguably the worst offensive line in the country last year. And people are like, well, he's a returning starter. So he's, he's probably going to have that spot. <laughs> like what, what are we and doing? We talked here? about it a few times throughout this off season where like, especially at offensive line, for whatever reason, experience is like the number one deciding factor in people predicting who's going to start where. And there's that's not the case at any other position on the field, but people just, oh, well, you know, he's been playing left guard for, for two years. So he, well, if he was a terrible left guard for those two years, <laughs> then who's to say the youngster coming up under him hasn't right, developed like enough to if, take his job. If there was a corner who just got beat like a rug for two years and he was going into his senior year people would be like hey let's replace this guy because he's not good but for some reason if that's a a left tackle or a right guard or whatever it's just like well hey one more year in the system and he's going to be fine (laughs) and honestly I think our offensive lineman woes last year first and foremost were an injury issue and a depth issue I think There were guys who were just not ready to play, who were forced into action last year and were forced to play a significant role and just were, like I said, not ready for it. Um, But yeah, there's nobody on our offensive line going into this year who I am um, extremely confident that they're going to be in the better half of their position in our conference. Um, There's guys, I mean, you'd you'd hope Kevin Jarvis could be that. I know Duplain and Samac have been coming up through the ranks looking pretty good. You'd hope they would take the step forward and be sure-footed. You know, you got an all-conference transfer coming in in Horst, who you'd hope his game translates well into the Big Ten and he continues to be a successful tackle. But those are all hopes. I mean, we have not seen any offensive linemen on our roster put together a full Injury-free season where they played mostly, if not all, good to great games throughout the season. So, it, I mean, I know that most of the program, it's a lot of hope. So, but yeah, offensive line, another area just like the defensive backfield that almost everything is completely fluid. And uh, and we're just going to have to wait and see where things uh, fall out. And I, I'm going to take that. So, I'm we're just going to roll right into the mailbag here, actually, because there was a question specifically related to this. And it's a fantastic segue, and I have to take advantage here. Uh, so we got a bunch of mailbag questions. We'll try to hit on all of them if we have the time. Uh, but one here uh, is from David Jackson. David J A eight eight six nine two two four four. So David Bot doesn't doesn't fit as well as Spartan Bot. Um, David Jackson. He says, how many offensive linemen have a legitimate chance to win a starting position or at least earn a spot in a heavy rotation names, please. Scott, I got some names here and uh, we'll play a little game. I'm going to list off a name and I want you to just say yes or no legitimate chance to win a starting position or at least a spot in the heavy rotation. And we're talking any time this season. It doesn't have to be week one right and and i'm i'm going to say you know we're not going to be acknowledging injuries here because of course we can say well you know if somebody gets hurt then you know this guy could fit in. i'm i'm talking like straight from you know just winning a job out of camp and you know this guy's going to come in and have a legitimate shot to to play all right all right so first name uh, Nick Samek. yes. Matt Carrick, yes. Hesitantly. James Ohanba, yes. Kevin Jarvis, yes. Matt Allen, yeah. JD Duplain, yes. Blake Boyder, yeah. Luke Campbell, yeah. AJR Curie. Yeah, this sounds ridiculous, but Jared I have a Horst. rationale behind this. Yes, ten—that's ten guys. <laughs> like, and I'll throw in a—I'll throw in eleventh and Spencer Brown on the back I, end. See, that was one where I wanted to put it because I loved him as a recruit. Uh, I, we just haven't seen anything that makes me like confident. But yeah, you could put in that, and that just goes to show again we shouldn't be confident about any of these guys positions. I think if there is one, it's JD Duplaine that I, I feel the best about, but again, it's no, nobody's job is safe and nobody's job should be safe. They were terrible last year. They were terrible the year before. <laughs> they were terrible the year before that. Like there's and the a reason lot of guys- I said yes to all these, like, I mean, Luke Campbell has been rough at times. Matt, Carrick and has had he had one game ridiculous last year that, injuries to deal with Luke Campbell yeah. like he's um, he's coming back from a lot but he has been an all big 10 player four years ago but right. he was <laughs> all those guys with the exception of Spencer Brown and James O'Honda have had significant time on the field in our program and that's the only reason I'm saying yes to all them it's right. like well they've all been getting snaps already so who's to say they're not going to take you know, starting role this season. And the, I really like Gohanba because I think he's just a total beast and Spencer Brown's a guy that, um, you know, stuck around when Devonte Dobbs left the program, he was kind of the same recruiting class, same position. He probably felt like he had a better chance when Mel Tucker came in to, to win some reps um, than Devonte Dobbs did. And he stuck and around probably um, the best athlete on the offensive line. So that dude, I still remember he was playing wide receiver as a sophomore in high school. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. Now he's through 20. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. I think it's a blessing that we have 10 guys. We have a full two deep on offensive line who could be earning starting roles. That said, again, as you've mentioned a couple times already, they were the worst offensive line in the conference and one of the worst offensive lines in the country last season i mean obviously we were playing a high level of competition in the big 10 but nonetheless they had a historically horrible year last year so i mean you've got supposedly one of the better offensive line coaches in the country um in chris Kapolovich running the the run game and and managing that group and this is year two under him Obviously, we should be coming into the year, knock on wood, with full health. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch. But, yeah, they're going to have to take huge steps forward. I'm hoping some of the youngsters are, are you know, putting a lot of pressure on these seniors, um, these guys who have been in their positions for a while. And we've had a great camp to uh, – or we will have a great camp to really develop and, and add some pressure. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting group to watch. Next question from Scott L. Brown. Who we're hopefully gonna get on the podcast here soon. We have exchanged some DMs. Uh, worst part of two a days, best part of two a days. And like I responded to the tweet, like I, I have 100 answers for the worst part of two a days. It was really difficult to think of a best one. Uh, Scott, do you have anything on this? So, yeah, I mean, the worst part of two a days is that like it, it's horrific, it's a terrible experience, <laughs> it wears you down it's to the inhumane. Bone. It's yeah, probably against the Geneva convention. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we won't belabor that point. The best part of two is days. I had that as, it's, as, like still on the word. I just, I had one specific thing because I think for me, at least it was, the, you know, preparing, like getting the gear on for practice number two, because I think like the anticipation part of it is worse than the actual practice. Like you look back in hindsight. And it's like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. But when you're you're putting the cleats back on, you're putting the helmet back on. It's like, oh, God, here we go again. It, that part, I think, is the worst singular part of two days. It's not anything that's actually done on the field. It's mentally getting yourself back into a, a, a mindset of, I need to go back out and practice again. And it's 95 yeah, degrees because it's August. <laughs> we would get up. And yeah, it's August and it's, you know, the pra- first practice starts at whatever, 8 a.m., 7 a.m. I don't know. And we would get out there. There's still dew on the grass. And the first thing we do after, you know, warming up is hitting drills. And I mean, I, I get it. Like defensive coordinators love to torture their teams. It's just <laughs> like their thing. They're paid to, to make them to be insane, essentially. But like near the end of the week or two however long you did two a days you know you're you're beat up you have no energy because you straight up can't eat enough food to keep up with what your body's doing every day and you're getting you're dragging yourself out of bed knowing you're about to go to practice and just start slaying into people in like a half hour with like dirty you know jersey that you haven't washed all week because (laughs) you didn't have time or energy or whatever it is yeah just awful but what that leads to I mean suffering together leads to a closer team and I think that's the best thing about two a days is that you're suffering with you you can call them your brothers your teammates it builds those bonds that you carry throughout the season that when things get tough you know you've got the guy next to you who was there at two days watching you puke your brains out and you know it It's a special bond. It's hard to describe if you haven't been on a team that's been through that, but you get really close to those guys. And that really is where you lay the foundation when you see these championship teams at the end of the year that just seem to have a different kind of connection to each other. It really makes a difference when when the season wears on, you know, you're playing in the Big Ten, it's 30 degrees and snowy and everybody's, you know, got some kind of injury you're just playing on heart. It goes back to those two-a-day practices in August when you're getting up and, and just trying to get through it together. Yeah. And, and I'll echo that a hundred percent. And the one thing I'll add is, you know, if I were to look for like a specific moment of the best part of two a days, again, if there is one, uh, for me, it, it, it was the, the time at the water tea. And I don't know about your, you know, football, uh, facilities football uh equipment that that's you a have. generous word we we, we had we had the water tee, which was you know basically just a pvc pipe that they drilled eight or nine holes into it and they would run the hose through and then the water would shoot up and we had our ourselves a water tee, and uh you know just you know when the coaches finally blow the whistle for water you go over there, you shoot the shit for 15 minutes, talk about how terrible this practice is and how bad you want to go home. Uh, yeah, that, that was it. We were talking about this earlier about in a post COVID world, we, we were, you know, again, we had a fancy draft earlier. <laughs> we were just chatting about this. And I mentioned something about like the post COVID world. I'm like, this is outrageous. Like how did we think that this was normal and one of my buddies was like, well, yeah, even at that time, it was outrageous and disgusting. Like, now it's just even more, like, relevant how outrageous and disgusting it was. Because you had people, like, putting their mouth on those things every time, which I never understood and was always upset about. But, um, yeah, yeah, we the had times just around the water tea or right after practice when you guys are just sitting in the locker room, you got the speakers blasting. Um, yeah, th- there's... There's nothing like football season as a player in the best of ways and in the worst of ways. And two a days is the ultimate, <laughs> you know, display of that. Crucible. Yeah, we had just For reference, we had uh, like a five foot concrete wall at one part of our football stadium and the trainer would come out before practice and put like three or four Gatorade jugs full of water on top of it. So the spigot was kind of like hanging off the wall and like we didn't we didn't get running water. That was a luxury weren't given. We just had to walk up to the wall and put our mouth under this thing and just let it <laughs> waterfall in. It was like a line. And then we'd have to run there and run back because right, God knows course. we don't actually get to rest. Of course. You know, and you got and jelly so, and legs. As you know, you're trying since to- we're on the topic, Scott, you uncovered something recently that, you know, is, is foundational to any high school football coach. And it's the idea, everybody listening to this that played high school football has heard this before you're, you just finished a sprint. You just finished whatever you got your hands on your knees and coach yells at you because there's no air down there. (laughs) So my coach would always say that, you know, you're, you can't breathe when you're down there, you're pinching your lungs or whatever. No, we just, we just always had that. There's no air down there. No air (laughs) down there. Get up. So if you're a believer in science, which I try to be, turns out that your lung capacity is higher with your hands on your knees versus your hands on your head, and you recover faster. It's scientific. Your heart rate comes down faster, and you can perform sooner than if you had your hands on your head. I expect absolutely Zero percent of football coaches in the world about to that, care. How about that? <laughs> yeah, you go ahead and tell your whoever it is, strength and conditioning coach, whoever's in charge of that. that well, actually, actually <laughs> science says it's better to have your hands on your knees, and you see how many sprints you have to run. I'm imagining, yeah, the freshman coming up. Yeah, well, actually, coach. <laughs> well, actually, I have this whistle here. Line up on the goal line now. Uh. Uh, let's Good see. Timing. Next next question. We got uh, Spartan bot Spartan one eight seven seven zero. Rumor has it that the Big Ten and the Pac twelve are looking to merge into a super conference. What teams, if any, in both conferences would be left out of this merger, and how would this affect MSU? Um, I did. I didn't really want to deep dive too deep into this, other than to just say. Of all of this Big Ten expansion, conference realignment stuff, I want to make sure that it's clear I'm anti-realignment at this stage. I think college football is is fine the way it is as far as the conferences go. Um, But since Oklahoma and Texas, it seems pretty done deal that they're going to go to the ACC the Big Ten is likely going to make a move. We talked about it on the last podcast, I think it was. Uh, There's not many of these kind of holdover Big 12 teams that I'm interested in. I I don't think most of them really make a difference. So if we were going to do something, I think the Pac-12 is an interesting avenue to go down. Uh, I think the idea of some kind of big pack East and big pack West divisions, <laughs> you know, obviously they're going to, they're going to find a way to brand it better than that. But um, you, you have kind of just what the big 10 is now, what the pack 12 is now, and you play some crossover games and then you have the championship at the Rose bowl. I think that is attractive on some level um I don't really think anyone would be left out I think kind of the teams that are in the big 10 are in the big 10 right like they're not going to be like all right yeah Rutgers that was fun but see ya (laughs) I don't think they can do that contractually so there's no like easy answer to this because a there's infinity possibilities and b like like you said, it doesn't make sense to kick anyone out. Are you going to do a super conference where you have 20 something teams? I mean, at that point I I was talking to you about it. Like, why don't you just do four conferences in a country of power five teams, current power five teams. You've got like the South, which is the SEC, the East, which is the ACC, the North big 10 and West is PAC 12. And you disperse teams equally, whatever. I mean, that's a total revamp. I could, there's plenty of ideas I could have. I don't know how the PAC 12 and the big 10 would work out. I think, you would need some of the current big 12 teams to kind of fill in the gaps because someone's going to lose teams and someone's going to gain teams. But um, I would love to have like Notre Dame and USC in the big 10, uh, get that rivalry in conference. And maybe you add like an Oregon. And I mean, I'm just poaching all the biggest brands at this point, but um, yeah. it's. But, I mean, that's what we need to do, right? That's the whole point of what we talked about in the last episode is like, What are we really adding if we're gonna go get Iowa State? What's the point, right? If if we're gonna add anybody, it better be an Oregon, a Washington, a USC. There's, there's just we're not adding anything with Kansas State. It's, it's just you're gonna add another slightly below average team, and that's just there's no point. Yeah. I think USC would be there. Definitely. And if you take USC, you have to take UCLA for the rivalry. Um, I'd love to have Oregon and Washington. I don't think Washington state would like that, but I don't think Washington state would make any sense in the big 10. Um, you could flirt with Colorado. They already have a rival in the big 10. Um, (laughs) that would be awesome by (laughs) the way, if they came to the big 10 and we played them, um, make that happen Kevin Warren please anyway no I think there's there's names we'd want there's names we wouldn't want um I don't think any of it will happen thinking I don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years but I think the Big Ten is sitting pretty and to answer kind of the how would it affect MSU I mean MSU is a big enough brand like they're a top five brand in the Big Ten they have a boatload of alumni you know they're healthy for TV deals any any group that has the upper hand in realignment negotiations that involve the Big Ten is going to make sure Michigan State goes to the better end of the deal. Um, they're just too valuable of a brand and of an audience to, to lose. So wherever the biggest names go, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Wisconsins, that's where you'll find us. Yeah, we're good. Like for, for anybody as a fan out there that's even like a little bit nervous about getting left behind, it's, it's not going to happen. We're good. Right. They, there's, there's nothing to worry about. We're an enormous university with an enormous audience and following with a history of success in both money-making sports. We're, we're good. Um no, it's interesting kind of topic in general. I think this Pac-12 thing is gaining some steam. I think it's it's interesting uh, if if we are going to try to take on the SEC. A um, couple more interesting questions here, also from Spartan Bot. He said that Michigan State flirted with college fo- with football greatness in the Connor Cook era, but the school and its fans just didn't understand what it took to remain on top. If we are to return there, what must Spartan Nation change in its approach to become a big time program? This is an interesting question. I think, as Michigan State fans, I think as college football fans, I'll say in general, you have a couple buckets because I think most people who more closely follow the sport and are following the national storylines are paying attention to recruiting are paying attention to what other brands are doing, are watching the national games and not just really kind of focused on just your team realize that when Michigan state went to the college football playoff in 2015, it was more of a ceremonial thing. And it, it wasn't a, Hey, we're here to win a national title thing. Obviously for the guys in that locker room, they were there to win a national title, but for the the reality and for the program, it was a, uh, Hey, this is really cool. And it was the same for Washington, you know, two years or one year before there's some of these teams that can make the college football playoff, but they can't win a national title. And this is something that, you know, I've listened to on a bunch of national podcasts and and re- read a ton of articles about. There's only a handful of teams right now that can go win a national title. And Michigan State's not one of them. And this is kind of what he's addressing here in terms of like, it's, it it's a, takes a different type of program mentality to do the things you need to do to take that next step. I think it's really easy to go from not easy, but it's easy to go from a bad team to a good team. And it's nearly impossible to go from a good team to a great team. And so I guess that's kind of what he's trying to hit on here. Uh, Any thoughts on this one, Scott? I think this this is a tough answer. Yeah, so first and foremost, the people inside the walls of the program, the proverbial walls of the program, need to think they are that caliber. In their heart, not like telling themselves, you know, write it on the mirror, manifest it like they have to go in work saying, I am just as good at this as the best of the best of whoever's doing what I do nationally. I, I would belong at Alabama, I would belong at Clemson, I'd belong at Ohio State, but I chose to come to Michigan State, but I'm just as good as them every player, every coach, every recruiter, everyone in the building has to have that mentality and they have to believe it. And then they have to have the results to back it up. The results are obviously the hardest part. Um, so obviously you have to win a lot of games. Um, you have to get to where the program was in the Counter cook era, just to be able to convince yourself that's where you are. And one that I'm, I'm struggling to figure out how to articulate this without stepping on a few toes, but like, You have to drop, you have to move on from the disrespect insecurity. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. I love the whole, you know, bulletin board material. We're so disrespected. We're so slept on. But it's because of where we are. If you win all your games, love it. If you win all your games, if you make it to the college football playoff more years than you don't, no one's going to be disrespecting you. When we were coming up in the Connor Cook era, we were coming off the, the Kirk Cousins era. Like, like No one was paying attention to us in the early thousands when D'Antonio got hired. We had a few good years where we, we were like, well, this is a good year. Why isn't anybody talking about us? Well, it's our first good year in a decade. And then we had the Connor Cook years, and it's like, well, we've had a few good years. Why is no one talking about us? Well, because no one's really seen that you can actually take the <laughs> Because next you've had a way. few good years. Right. Like Northwestern had a great year last year. Is anyone talking about them being an elite program? No, because they've only done it once. Um, And that's kind of where we got to. I mean, we had a little bit more success than Northwestern did last year, admittedly, but you have to be okay with the fact that nobody's going to pay attention until you give them something to pay attention to consistently. And right. When was the last time that somebody slept on or disrespected Ohio state or Alabama? it just doesn't right. happen because even Clemson like Clemson is a good example of a program that wasn't necessarily a national powerhouse for the last four generations they are the example of it right they're the they're the only thing I can think of that went that did that leap I mentioned from going from good to great it's nearly impossible right. Clemson found a way to do it somehow <laughs> and that's what you have to do in Dabo Sweeney like I mean, love him or hate him. He has convinced his program that they are as good as yeah. anyone in the country. And that's what you have to do. And that means when somebody disrespects you in the media, you say, okay, watch me. Right. And then no, the that's... next year you go win a college football playoff game. That's a great point because Dabo Sweeney is the perfect example of that, that you, that you just mentioned. He's not a bulletin board guy. He's a, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to smack you in the face with my football team. And then I'm going to be a dick about it after. And you guys are all going to hate me, but my team is better than your team. So if you want to do something about it, come out and beat my team. I dare you. And that's the type of mentality it takes on top of, uh, I wrote a couple things down as well here. You have to, so that's kind of from a general program standpoint, from a fan standpoint as well, from an athletic director, from a, a boosters, from, uh, um, board of directors, you have to support the football coaches. And when I mean support the football coaches, I mean, give them everything that they ask for, because that's what they're doing at Alabama. That's what they're doing at Ohio state. That's what they're doing at Clemson. That's what they're doing at Oklahoma and Texas, who maybe aren't schools that are quite there yet. Uh, That's what they're doing at LSU right everything that coach needs they get whether that's a plane whether that's new facilities whether that's you know a, a new avenue to recruit whether that's an upgrade to the stadium they do it and they don't bat an eye there's no meetings there's no you know hey we'll see about that it's just what do you need all right we'll find a way we'll we'll get it done um You just need that. The way I wrote it down is you just need that SEC level insanity. That's, that's really what it comes down to, right? Like Ohio state, they're not an SEC school, but they have SEC level insanity throughout the entire program. They'll spend whatever money they need to, they'll do whatever they need to do to win. And that's just not a position that Michigan state's in right now. And that's uh, not a position that 95% of college football's in right now. And that's why you see this gap just continue to grow and grow because Alabama and Nick Saban get whatever they want, whenever they want it and Michigan state and Mel Tucker, Mark D'Antonio um, Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald, they get a lot, but they don't get everything. Yeah. At the end of the day, winning a college football national championship is not a reasonable goal. It's not like you have to be an unreasonable. You have to have an unreasonable mentality to do it because anyone who's thinking reasonably about the big picture about outside of the football program, but the university community as a whole, where should we allocate our time, energy, and money? it's not reasonable to put the resources behind the football team to no, do it's what insane. it takes to win it. <laughs> it's it's yeah, insane. Absolutely insane. But, but that's, that's what, what the takes. sec does is they do the insane. They say, yeah, logic reason, screw you. I want to win a football game. <laughs> yep. So that's what it takes. You have to pretty much throw caution to the wind. Um, tell everybody who disagrees that they can take a hike and, uh, and do what you want. Yeah. Um, last one, we'll, we'll do this real quick and then we'll get to our over unders. Uh, I wanted to make sure I hit on this one. So David Jackson, again, uh, asked where do you think MSU might rank among the 14 big 10 schools in rushing offense, total offense points scored per game, uh, quick research here. So let's start with rushing offense Last year in 2020, Ohio state led the conference with 257 yards. The middle was uh, seventh in Wisconsin, 165 yards. Michigan state was 13th, just ahead of Purdue at 92 yards per game. Um, so Scott last year, we were 13th, the middle ground seventh. We were about 70 yards a game apart. Uh, in 2019, we were also 13th, but the gap was a little bit closer. It was about 40 yards from us to average in the big 10. I think as of right now, the goal for the rushing game should be to get back to average. Uh, do you think we can make that ground up right? 2019, I think is the better sample size because you include some of those, you know, you get the non-conference games where you can run it up a little bit. Last year, we had a very small sample size. So if we assume 2019, where we were 13th both years, so I don't think that really makes a huge difference. The gap is about 40 to 50 yards per game uh, between us and Big Ten average. Can we make that up? Yes or no? Yes, for two reasons. Well, three but one of them's a weak reason one the offensive line has to be a lot better that's not much of a reason so much as just a dictation but right. two we have a bell cow back that I think a lot of people are excited to buy in Kenneth Walker and a stable behind him of all guys who have shown flashes to guys who have been consistent so the running back core is a lot stronger and three I think we'll hold on to the ball more than we did last year Uh, last year the turnovers were obviously a big problem we just did not have the ball so the numbers should improve if we're on offense more Um, and I think that's going to be a priority I'm sure it has been a priority throughout the offseason so yes I think we can get back to average I think somewhere in the five to eight range is is a reasonable expectation Mel Tucker's made it a point that he's going to be physical he wants to be able to run the ball um so he's not going to shy away from it. It's not like Purdue last year who didn't run the ball because they just straight up didn't call running plays. We
1: right, just you couldn't, couldn't go through ball. Purdue
0: every year, they're last of the Big Ten, just because right. that's DNA. So we're going to try, and yeah. I think there's a couple factors that will play in our favor, and I think we will get back into that middle ground five at best, maybe like eight to ten at worst. Right. I'm looking at all of these of, of getting to seventh. Uh, That's kind of how I'm looking at it. We'll get through our actual predictions a little bit later this month as we kind of wind down. Um, So, you know, we, sorry, David, we won't get our exact predictions here yet. Uh, We're still working through that, but I'm just kind of giving an overview here. Total offense. uh, Last year, we were dead last in the conference. We were 50 yards behind uh, U of M who was seventh. 2019, we were ninth in the conference uh, at 373 yards per game, which was 40 yards more than we had last year, uh, and we were about 35 yards away from from average. So I'm going to say it's it's certainly possible to make up 50 yards per game. And you mentioned the rushing. I think it's also in this sense. I think it's the passing as well, because we had some decent passing numbers last year, which makes it difficult to say, Hey, we're going to improve on that. But I think just another year with these wide receivers getting more in sync, um, just developing. I think the top two weapons are, are very intriguing. And if the the rushing offense just goes up a little bit, I think the passing offense is going to go up a little bit too. And I think that total offense number can get to league average pretty easily. It's not a huge gap, to uh, to cross points scored dead last in the conference last year, eighteen points per game. Ohio State number one in the conference last year with forty one points per game. Um, rough middle of the road was Purdue at twenty seven points per game. So we're looking at about nine points uh, of a difference. So a little bit more than a touchdown let's call it an extra touchdown and a field goal per game. Um, is that on the table? I, I think, you know, you mentioned eliminating turnovers, I think will be a huge part of that, a- at least getting another field goal here and there, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. The scoring is still the biggest question mark. I think we're going to see improvement at every facet of moving the ball, but one of the problems with having two six foot one starting wide receivers and an an apt running game is that when you get down in the red zone, you don't have a whole lot of options to try to punch it in. Right. It's fine if those, if those receivers are elite separators who can go out and create space, but, you know, we've seen that they're, they're very good receivers. Are they at that elite level where it doesn't matter how big they're, because they're just so good at uncovering from corners. I, I, I wouldn't be as confident in saying that. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's tough. I mean, I think we'll, it's definitely, it's definitely going to go up. Can we get to league average? I think it's tough, but 18 points a game is not going to happen again. That is historically bad. That would put Mel Tucker on the hot seat. Oh, absolutely. Going into year three, 100%. he's I mean, fired after it would be. Year, but. It would be getting on the hot seat, and Jay Johnson would absolutely be fired or should be if we put another eighteen points a game out there. Because last year it was only acceptable because of COVID. Right, and year one, and Penn, et cetera. Penn State. Penn State talent on the roster. Penn State brought in Kirk Soraka from Minnesota. Last year was his only year. They fired him after last year. I I mean, this, again, you go back to that question about what does it take to be a big boy? It's Hey, this guy was bad. Fire him. I don't, I don't care about relationships or who brought him in. It's did he do a good job or a bad job? And Penn state showed like, Hey, this guy sucked. I don't care if it was COVID. I don't care if he didn't get a spring. Our offense was bad. We're firing his ass. (laughs) So if we put (laughs) another 18 points out there, Jesus Christ, get rid of it. But I I don't think that's gonna happen. See, I still think we may struggle to punch it in. Kenneth Walker's not exactly a bruiser is gonna knock it through a, a third and one on the goal line. Um we've got a couple other guys we can look right, at. You're hoping a Harold like Joyner that. kind of develops into yeah. that with his size. Even a Donovan but... Eagle and like yeah. what is he five nine, like two forty or something? <laughs> that's, that's a healthy <laughs> young man. Um so we'll see. I mean, the scoring is gonna be harder than the yardage definitely. Um, but we'll get more opportunities this year. we still got our, our kicker who Matt Coglin should, should break the all time scoring record this year. He has the advantage of being here for like 17 years. I but, was going to say, um, he is how funny would that, that be given that he's never been on a good offense? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we should get some points, but you can't really rely on field goals to make up a nine point difference to get back to average. That's three fields a game. That's a, that's a healthy leg getting its workout in. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I do want to ask one quick question because I asked Mason to ask us this because he asked us this in the group chat. Does, I know it's kind of a a very big prediction for the season, but does smoke and Mel Tuck, as he put it, win a bowl game this year yeah um, like i said we'll, we'll get into the preview stuff and as we get more and more in maybe my answer Just will yes change no. but gut instinct right now gun to my head i'll say no i'll, I'll say I'm it's saying, like a five win team i don't quite think we're there right now it's a kool-aid season for me that's fall camp's all about let's bombs. roll and baby yes <laughs> I'm going like eight or nine wins with a bowl win let's go um <laughs> we I'll tell you why again when we get to our predictions again, stay tuned quickly because we're we're running out of time here but um I went back and listened to our 2020 preview uh it was hysterical Ooh. it was hysterical we both we we didn't guarantee wins over Iowa but the way we were talking about that Iowa game we might as well both guaranteed a win and we lost by 40. <laughs> it was so funny man like each individual comment was like oh that you cringed every time yeah um, yeah i have not listened back because that is all i mean it's a shot oh, and we're gonna be it's... wrong about most of our predictions again maybe we should do like a, an episode where we pull sound bites out from last year and that as we do our predictions for this year just for a good laugh, <laughs> as as a reminder of how none of us know what we're doing um Last thing we got our over under props here, uh, that, like we said, we're trying to roll this out every episode. So I'll, I'll start with mine and it's going to be related to the wide receivers. Okay. A little bit of background, uh, the top three receivers, uh, in the big 10 conference last year in terms of receiving yards, you had Jahan Dotson with over 800 yards, Chris Olave, 700 plus Garrett Wilson, 700 plus, um, Tough to, you know, really measure a whole lot out of that because of different teams playing a different amount of games. So if you go back to 2019, you had the top 10, uh, 1300 yards, 1200 yards, uh, over a thousand yards. The number 10 receiver in the big 10 was still over 800 yards. Again, fast forward 2020 Jalen Naylor was number seven in the conference with 515 yards. Um, so I'm going to set the over under here at six and a half does a Michigan statewide receiver, whether you believe it's Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor, or other, I guess, um, are they in the top six or are they outside of the top six in receiving yards? Another quick, you know, nugget is that eight of the top 10 receivers from the big 10 from last year are back. So only two of the top 10 um, are gone. That's WAP failure from Indiana. And uh, there was a guy from Northwestern here, Bowman from Northwestern. So eight of the top 10 are back. Jalen Naylor finished seventh last year. I'm setting the over under at six and a half. Uh, can we break into that top six? Jaden Reed will be in the top six with over a thousand yards this year. Ooh. That is real spicy. Over a 1,000 yards in 2019 would have put somebody at, again, just 2019 because that was the last full season that everybody played. Over a 1,000 yards would have been top four. Wap Fillier had 1,002 yards in 2019. He was number four. Book it. All right. Yeah. We got to, like, write these down. We We mentioned that last episode, but... We'll get to it. We'll start well, writing we'll, things we'll down We'll go back someday. and we'll go back and listen to them and put them in a Google Doc or something. But all right, last one here because I have things to do and I'm probably already in trouble. Um, <laughs> I'm long past that. Also, <laughs> also six and a half. Um six and a half day. Number of Michigan State defensive backs that start a game this year. Oof. Six and a half. Oh, I'll go easy over. Over. Oh, yeah. Um, I like just, and I'm not even looking at injuries. I'm just looking at, I think we have five. Injuries don't count. Right. And we have five that are starting any given week. So that's basically saying are two of those spots going to change hands at some point, whether that's just like, hey, we're going to give this guy the start this week or just a total like Hey, he's our starter now for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take two out of the five guys to change hands at some point over the season. Just from All right. you know whether it's there's a young guy that's playing really well in practice and has earned that job, or it's an it's an older guy that hasn't played that well, or a transfer that just you know maybe it's a guy like um, uh, Brooks. You know, he's coming from a lower level of competition. Coaches thought he was ready to go in there week one. He goes in there against a big 10 or, you know, a Miami and just like, all right, you know, he wasn't ready. And so we're going to go with somebody else. I, it's a pretty easy over for me. I'll, I'll definitely go over. All right. Well, there you have it. Jaden Reed will break a thousand yards through the air this year, and we will start at least seven defensive backs this season. (laughs) I don't know if either of those are good things again. Who knows, man? Nobody knows. Again, I went back and listened to some of our previews from last year. We don't know anything, people. Neither do you. So that's why we're all all here together. Um, Yeah. Reply to the tweet when we post this episode with your responses to our props of the week because we want to know why we're right or why we're wrong. Probably more so why we're wrong. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, like we mentioned at the top, a lot of exciting stuff coming down the wire for us. Uh, we, we've we got plenty for you to stay tuned to. So the Twitter is at Standing Room MSU. The Twitter for my co-host is at SpartanMartin18. Make sure you follow along on both of those. We will be tweeting out all of our exciting news coming up. Again, there will be a new logo. So if you're currently following Standing Room MSU. Uh, the logo is gonna change. Fear not, it's hopefully gonna be better. Um, check out the website standingroomspartans.com, and make sure that you are subscribed because the next episode that hits the feed will be an interview with the one and only Greg Jones. Very excited for this fall. We've got a ton of exciting stuff to, to keep building this thing out. Uh so make sure you're staying with us. And if you have been with us this whole time, thank you so much. You're the reason that we are continuing to expand this thing. So uh we really appreciate the the constant support to our our you know our our family, you know who you are, the people who respond to every mailbag, the people who are out there liking and retweeting everything. You guys are the best. Um, so until next week, well, I guess we're not going to record until next week you will hear us later this week so until then uh go green go white take care folks